Welcome to Noggin, the Simple Psychology Podcast, where we discuss scientific research in simple and exciting ways that is applicable to everyone. I'm Ben Rasmussen. And I'm McKay Heaton. And we are your hosts. So in 1984, near Venice, Italy, a man named Silvano checked into the University of Bologna's Research Center. So he was 53 years old and had just begun sweating profusely and ha- and started to have pinpoint pupils. Okay, so he walks in. He's like, I need some help. And the the researchers, so he told the researchers that he's going to die. He's like, I'm going to, I have these two things. I'm going to die because I got my family curse. And they were like, what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, like people, when they get this in my family, they just die. And so... The researchers were like, um, okay. <laughs> Obviously, like, so why is this just coming up now? So many people of your family have died. You know, why would you come earlier? And apparently, he, it was because the family was trying to hide the fact that they had this disease and they didn't want anyone else to know about it. Hmm. So he, they were, like, hiding it. They were, like, ashamed, you know? And so... this guy Silvano was like you know what I'm sick of this I'm going to the doctor you know like I'm going to get this figured out and he's like I'm gonna die anyways I might as well do it (laughs) so and so they were kind of you know skeptical until Silvano's condition continued to worsen like he continued to get worse and worse and worse so and then they looked into the family history and they found that in a 14 child generation six or seven of them would die from the same thing that Silvano was talking about wow and so the doctors each doctor had just labeled it differently as like nervousness encephalitis or schizophrenia so the doctors super confused continued to search for a cure or a cause they didn't know anything about this disease Um, but sadly they couldn't find one Silvano died later that year, and what researchers did was they shipped his brain tissue to other e- experts, and these experts found that the thalamus part of the brain tissue, uh, which is essential for conducting deep sleep, uh, it was filled with holes. Whoa. And so he, he died because of lack of sleep. So he was like, at the end stages of his life, he was like in this non-sleep sleep state, and he just like his eyelids were half closed and he just looked not good. And he, he in the end died because of insomnia. And so they labeled this disease fatal familial insomnia. And they like currently they're still researching it. But uh, there's a critical protein in the thalamus that breaks down and makes holes in the thalamus, keeping the person from sleeping until they die. Wow, that's really sad. Yeah crazy right? is that is that genetic it is genetic and that's why because you that's know that's why it's the family curse yeah that's wow. why it's the family curse and and this is one of like the only families that they know that actually have this gene for this certain protein that breaks down like halfway Jeez. through your life wow that's cr- that's crazy <laughs> freaking weird huh okay so with that riveting introduction today we're going to be talking about sleep uh and i hope it's not as sad all right so today we're going to be talking about because there's there's so much we could talk about with sleep there's so much that sleep does for you there's so much that goes into sleep how to have good sleep how to really wreck your sleep today we're going to be talking about sleep and how it affects your memory so specifically we're going to be talking about declarative memory in this first paper and then in the second paper mckay is going to talk about motor memory so 
This paper is called A Daytime Nap Containing Solely Non-REM Sleep Enhances Declarative But Not Procedural Memory. It's by Tucker, Hirota, Wamsley, Lau, Chocolater, and Fishbane. It was published in 2006 in Neurobiology of Learning and Memory. So you might be wondering, what is declarative memory? So there's lots of different types of memory. Sometimes it's hard to remember what they are. Declarative memory is just remembering facts. So facts from your life, facts from your history class. So knowing that Paris is the capital of France and knowing that last night for dinner you had cheddar and broccoli soup. That's what I had for dinner last night. That is declarative memory. And so that's what this study was looking at, how taking a nap affected declarative memory. So what the researchers did is they recruited 29 undergraduate students. There was a pretty even balance between men and women. And then they completed a word pair task. So what that entails is researchers would show them a list of words that are paired together. And they're not necessarily naturally paired together. It's not like window, pane, moon, light. It's words that just don't necessarily naturally go together. But they were to look at this list and then they were to try and memorize these word pairs. After they did that, they would show them one of the words from the pair, and then it was their job to type in the other word from that pair. Um, another thing to mention, too, is, of course, this is an experiment. We're going to have a control group. So before they did this baseline test, they divided the students up into two groups. They had the nap group, and they had the control group. So they divided them up. They had them do this word pair task. They got their baseline scores. And then one group, they brought into a room, and they had them take a nap. And the other group, they kept awake. And so this nap lasted for about 45 minutes. And they were in the lab. They had them hooked up to monitors so they could see how their sleep was doing. And they had them hooked up to an EEG machine, which is like this little head thing that you wear that monitors um, your brain activity in real time. It's just a fancy hat. Yeah, it's a really, really <laughs> fancy looking hat. It looks kind of like something you'd see in an alien movie, but yeah. it's pretty cool. Not comfortable. <laughs> yeah, so EEGs, just a little bit of like a, this is extra credit. You don't need to pay tuition for this, but... An EEG machine, it tells you when things are happening in the brain, but it doesn't tell you exactly where. So, yeah, so it, it's, like, really good at showing you what's happening in real time in your brain, but not exactly where. Whereas, like, an MRI machine or an fMRI machine, it's really good at telling you where, but it's not good at telling you, like, exactly when things are happening. So that's just, like, a little bit of... You can file that in your G-Wiz folder if you're interested. G-Wiz. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> so they hooked him up to this alien hat EEG machine, and they had him take a nap. Or in the control group, they just kept him awake and monitored them. Then, after the nap, they had both groups do the test again. So they, d they had did the same word pair task. And what they found was that subjects in the nap group had greater improvement at the retest than the wake subjects. Uh, and they measured that by number of word pairs that they recalled at the retest. So one group took a nap, the other group didn't take a nap. The group that took the nap did better the second time around than the group that did not take the nap. And another thing to mention too is there was no difference in the group at baseline. So these groups were equal at baseline, but the nap group improved more than the control group. Very interesting. So it was like the people were, they just saw a bunch of different paired words like lizard and pineapple or uh -huh. computer and fire and then right. w they were shown one of the words like pineapple and then they were like which word went with pineapple and then you had to choose lizard right uh -huh, yeah okay cool yeah and so the the group that took a nap did better mm -hmm. yeah exactly Ooh. so are you telling me that we should be napping during school <laughs> not i mean not necessarily <laughs> in class if you're in class don't take a nap but what 
the research, and this is just an example of a large body of research. When I was reading through trying to pick a paper for this, it was really tough because there's so many articles that are published on this and they all cite each other and it kind of goes in this big old circle which is a good thing in the research world there's a lot of papers that show that whether it's at night sleeping or taking a nap during the day it helps with declarative memory consolidation is what they call it so that's just like your brain making sense of and filing things away in the right folders in your brain things that you have learned so when you go to class and you learn that paris is the capital of france and then you sleep on it then your brain is like going through its files for the day and it's like, oh yeah, declarative facts, Paris, capital of France, let's file that away here. And it just, it just consolidates your memory. And so sleep is very important for learning facts and also remembering what you had for dinner last night, for example. Okay, so sleep right after class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so get home from class, take a nice nap. Um, another thing too is professors always recommend this, but I think it kind of goes in one year out the other year for a lot of students. Getting enough sleep the night before an exam is extremely important. So if you have the choice between like staying up all night and going over your flashcards 30,000 times or <laughs> calling it a night at a reasonable hour, sleeping and then getting up the next day, refreshing your memory and then taking the test, it's actually better to get that sleep because your brain's going to remember it a lot better. If you just fry your brain by staying up all night looking at flashcards, you're doing yourself a huge disservice with your memory. You're not going to remember things as well. Hmm. So your brain's better at remembering things than you are at studying when you're sleeping. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just it's true. let your brain do its thing. <laughs> give it the sleep it needs and it will reward you for it. Yeah. Treat your brain nice, guys. It'll treat you nice. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this, this extends past just school too. I mean, I think when you think of declarative memory and remembering facts, remembering facts is very important when you're trying to d jump through the hoops of exams and school and stuff. But I mean, remembering what goes on in your daily life, being able to remember what happened to you last week and being able to have vivid memories of your own past is also, I mean, something that's really important. So sleep on it. <laughs> yeah. Remembering is important. And I think that knowing this is super helpful because, Hey, if I want to remember something, sleep, if I want to you know, do better on tests, sleep, right? Or if I want to do, you know, if I have not even a test, if you have a big project coming up for work or if you have yeah. anything else coming up that you just need to remember things, be on top of your game, sleeping is always mm -hmm. a good thing to do. Yeah, another thing to mention too with this for parents, this effect is bigger in children from a lot of the papers that I was glancing through. It's bigger in children than it is in adults. So even almost more important than you yourself getting enough sleep for your own declarative memory, giving your kids the opportunity to get enough sleep if you can wrestle them into bed um, is extremely important for their well-being as well and for their development because their brain is trying to consolidate a lot of information. When you're a young kid, everything is super new. And at, when you're going to elementary school and middle school and things like that, there's a lot of information that they throw at you. And so the more sleep they get, the more likely they are to be able to correctly log those declarative memories and be able to recall those and use those and remember those. Mm. Yeah, I hear I hear your wife is the ultimate napper. How is her, <laughs> how is her memory? Oh yeah, pristine. <laughs> My wife is the napper of all nappers. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Okay, so the, like Ben said, the study that I'm going to be talking about has to do with uh, motor memory. So this type of memory is different than de declarative memory. It, it's more about learning skills uh, that has to do with your muscle movement. So like the ability to, if you if you're learning like a new way to write things, you can. It's called it's motor memory because you're writing something in a different way or like. 
riding a bike. Yes, kicking a soccer ball, riding a bike, playing basketball, any of that. It's like motor memory. You're, you're learning a new skill with your muscles. It's like riding a bike. That's right. And so the study that I found is called Practice with Sleep Makes Perfect Sleep-Dependent Motor Skill Learning. And this was published in Neuron in 2002. Uh, the authors are Walker, Breakerfield, Morgan, Hobson, and Stick Gold. Not as cool as Ben's papers authors, but <laughs> almost as cool. Yeah, I've got some flashy last names here. For Stick these Gold. Papers. So in this study, there were 62 participants, and all of them were right-handed. So this is important that they were right-handed because they were tasked with tapping a sequence of numbers on a keyboard as fast as they could for 30 seconds with their non-dominant hand. So it was all their left hand. So it was like kind of a new thing, you know, because you don't really do a lot with, right. with your left hand if you're right. right-handed. So the numbers they were tasked to, to tap were 41324. So they would just tap that over and over as fast as they could for 30 seconds. Right? Ben's trying to do it in his mind in the air right now. That one was incorrect. <laughs> so they would repeat it once they finished, right? And they would just do as many as they can in 30 seconds. And the numbers were always displayed on the screen that they had to tap. So it wasn't like they were trying to remember, oh, yeah, four, one, three, two, four. No, it was just like it was right before them. They would just look at it. So and it was tap, just tap, all tap, about tap, the fingers. Yeah, it was all about how fast they could move their fingers. And so this 30-second uh, stint was done six times. And they called that the initial training period. And so there were five different groups. Group A, they did their first training at 10 a.m., then they retested at 2 p.m., retested at 6 p.m., and retested at 10 p.m., and they were awake that whole 12 hours. Group B was tested at 10 a.m., were awake for the full 12 hours, retested at 10 p.m., slept, and then were retested again at 10 a.m. Okay. And then group C was tested at 10 a.m., was awake, and then retested at 10 p.m., and then retested at 10 a.m. again. The only difference between group B and group C was that group C had to wear mittens. (laughs) (laughs) They wore mittens so they couldn't use their fingers, you know? So they're Uh like, they weren't practicing in their mind by doing little different. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) I know, so they'd wear mittens for 12 hours. Uh, That's so funny. Okay. Okay, so Group D was trained at 10 p.m., and then they slept, and then they were retested at 10 a.m., and then they were retested at 10 p.m. that night. So it was, it was trained, sleep, tested, and then awake for 12 hours and t- tested again. And then Group E was the same as Group D, but they just slept in the lab, and they monitored their sleep. Okay, so those are the five different groups. All it really is is, are you being trained in the morning or in the evening? And are you sleeping or not in between your tests? That's that's pretty much what it was. Okay. So uh, the results are super awesome. So group A improved just as much as expected from practicing the movements. So group A had a bit more practice because they were tested two more times than everyone else. Okay. And so they improved a little bit more than just like the baseline because they had practiced more. That makes sense. And and so that was expected. Group B improved less than group A when they were retested at 10 p.m. So remember group B trained at 10 a.m., retested at 10 p.m. Uh-huh. So they did not improve as much as group A in the 12-hour span because they didn't practice as much that as makes group sense. A. Okay. But after they slept, 
Group B outperformed Group A by 18.9%. Wow. So Group B still had less practice than Group A. They had just slept and then redone the skill. And they did better. They did, yeah. You know, 19% better. 19% better. That's really cool. It's really good. That's a like yeah, that's, that's a big improvement. That is a big improvement. And it was seemingly only from sleep. I mean, they didn't really do anything in between. They mm-hmm. just slept. And so that that was that's a cool finding. So group C was the same as group B, remember, but these were the guys wearing mittens throughout the day. So, you know, group B maybe could have like done fine f- finger movements and Uh been practicing you know (laughs) sneakily behind the researchers back but group c was restricted to mittens and um they were similar so at 10 p.m their performance was the same as group b which was less than group a at 10 p.m but after they had slept again they improved by 19.7 percent so which is a lot again about 20 percent and uh, tw- so tw- that's 20% better than group A. And so it's almost the same as group B, which is another exciting finding. And then group D, this these people were trained at 10 p.m. and then just slept. And then the next day was their first test at 10 a.m. And they improved by 20.5%. Wow. So even not practicing, just being trained and then sleeping on it was better than practicing three or four times and not sleeping at all. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Group E was the last group and they were trained at 10 PM. They slept in the lab and the next day they were trained at 10 AM and they improved uh, by almost 18%, 17.9. And this, that's, is that still in uh, relation to group A? Yes. Yes. All wow. of those were in relation to group A. That's really cool. So group A, even though they had all this training and all this practice, all of the groups that, took less time to practice and more time for sleeping, did better. That's really cool. Yeah. So I was thinking, you know, like, is sleeping better than practice? And I would probably say, I don't know, maybe. Depends. <laughs> I think it depends. I, I would say you should definitely practice, but I would say practice plus sleep. Like uh-huh. if group eight, you know, if they did a different group that was they practiced three times and then they slept on it, I my guess is they would do the best because yeah. they're kind of optimizing everything. They're practicing and they're sleeping, and that leads to the best performance. Yeah, I think that's that's it. It depends because you need that balance. You can't just not practice something, sleep, and then expect to all of a sudden be a wizard at it. But you can't also expect to practice all day and all night without sleeping, and then be able to perform your best when it comes down to it. It was actually very interesting. The guy who wrote this paper, the idea how he got the idea for doing this experiment was he was giving a presentation on sleep and some guy comes up to him after it was over and he's like, Hey, I'm like a professional pianist. And I know like for me, when I'm trying to learn a new piece and I just, it doesn't get in my head. I just get super frustrated, but then I just go to bed, wake up the next day and I can play it perfect. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. And so he was like, wait a minute maybe sleep has something to do with like motor memory. And so he, he did this experiment and it turns out it does. Hmm. That reminds me of a study we talked about in my neurobiology class about sleep. The best violin performers at this one school took a nap during the day. And that was actually really helpful for their performance that like, I don't remember all the details, but I remember that being like a significant factor in their violin performing abilities was they took a nap whereas students that didn't excel quite as much as they did weren't napping during the day they weren't and it there was more factors than that it was more 
the best performers had really dedicated practice for a few hours and then took a nap and then had more really dedicated practice. Whereas the non-nappers just kind of had lackadaisical practice throughout the day and they might have, they might have practiced more, but it wasn't as dedicated and they also didn't have that rest in the middle. So that's kind of where that balance comes in. If you're not practicing, but sleeping all the time, it's not going to be that great for you. But if you're also practicing all the time and never sleeping, you're not going to be able to perform at your best. Yeah. I think these studies have a lot of application. I mean, just like you said, the violin performers, like if you are a musician, like fine figure movements are needed for most musical instruments. Yeah. And so learning those things like sleeping is really going to help you, really going to help you. Or if you're an athlete and you are, you know, basketball, you're learning new moves or whatever, or soccer, you know, or baseball, anything that has to do with motor movement, if you want to do better, then sleeping actually really does help. Yeah, for sure. Going back to the declarative memory, most of us have a reason to remember things, whether that's for school or for a job or just to be able to remember our lives. Sleeping is really important to be able to consolidate those memories, file them away correctly so that our brain remembers them better. Yeah, and sleep is also important to live. Remember Silvano? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he died. <laughs> yeah. If you aren't able to sleep enough, you will not live as long <laughs> is the <laughs> another main takeaway. Yes. But I think that, at least for me, sleeping, it helps me feel good. And there's all these, you know, at least these two benefits that we talked about today, motor memory and mm-hmm. declarative memory. And so I just want to, challenge you guys to sleep more <laughs> like literally make sleep a priority you don't have to oversleep i know my little brother joe come on you don't need to sleep like 10 hours a day <laughs> in in today's world and we've kind of talked about this before when we've soapboxed about sleep but it's kind of a badge of honor to not get enough sleep but you're not doing yourself any favors besides making yourself feel more confident in relation to others for whatever reason for not sleeping as much so it's Sleeping is one of the best investments you can make for your own physical health, mental health, cognitive abilities. The list goes on. Sleeping enough is just one of the best things you can do for yourself. Yeah. And I would also invite you guys to reconsider napping because at least for me, I was like, oh, people who nap are lazy. (laughs) (laughs) At least that was, you know, that was, that was kind of my thought. Um, But now I'm just like, man, if you can nap, good for you, dude. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's good. It's good for, it's good for you. And, you know, I should probably try and do it more. I don't love napping, but I should probably try and do yeah, it more because it's good. <laughs> if you want to learn how to nap, talk to my wife, Becca. She's Definitely. a professional. She, has <laughs> she the, is, dude. She has the art of napping. Well, she does it in like a really productive way, too. She'll be like working really hard and then she'll get tired. And so she'll nap for like 10 or 20 minutes and she'll get back up and she's refreshed and she can work more. Continue chugging. Very impressive. Yeah. So anyways sleep it's good for you we should do it we'll probably do another episode on more of the benefits of sleep this (laughs) is just one memory you have been listening to noggin the simple psychology podcast thank you for listening to our show we really appreciate it we have shared with you only two articles of the thousands that have been published on this subject though we wish we could go more in depth we hope you've enjoyed our introduction and interpretation of this topic We don't claim to know everything, but we have shared with you our takeaways from reading the research. I'm McKay. And I'm Ben. And we hope you have a great rest of your day.